0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you guys about BlueWire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Check out the description box to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Blue wire.
0: With the third pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California.
2: TJ
1: All right. Welcome into another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and we just got through watching the Hornets defeat the Mavericks 118 99 in Dallas. Uh, we'll be discussing this game, some early season trends, and we'll also have some leftover listener questions from a couple of episodes ago. Uh, before we get into the episode, I wanted to welcome a guest, Lee of the Witch Carolina podcast, who I joined. I don't know, was that like a week ago, Lee, I think, or a week and a half ago? Um, thanks again for joining me. Last second here, I kind of asked you probably like 30 minutes prior to tip off. So thanks for joining, Lee. And if you want to kind of promote your podcast here right now, and you can, and just kind of let them know what that podcast is all about.
3: Yeah, Richie, I appreciate you having me on, man. The the last-minute invite is always welcome, and uh, I was setting up to watch the game anyway. So, yeah, um, Witch Carolina podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Witch Carolina. That's W-H-I-C-H Carolina. Um, We do NBA, NBA draft, Charlotte Hornets heavy. So um, I'm a huge fan of the BuzzBeat pod, so to get to join... Uh, tonight is, uh, is a blast, man. Thanks
1: for having me. Yeah, just just return the favor here. So we're going to get into the game. We're going to get into some of the early season trends that we're seeing with the Hornets. And uh, we're we're just going to kick it off as, as a recap here. Hornets, again, beat Dallas 118-99. And I think we always want to start with Luka Doncic when it comes to the Dallas Mavericks. He was in foul trouble uh, early in this first half. He sat late in the first quarter and didn't re-enter the game until about seven minutes left in the second quarter. You know, he he's the engine for this Mavs offense as they run pick and roll after pick and roll for him. And, and I thought in the beginning of the game, they were able to find some success uh, and he was able to swing the ball to the weak side corner for some open teammates. But because of his foul trouble and because of the score, he only played in 24 minutes tonight, Lee. What are your thoughts on, on Lucas so far? I and mean, obviously he's not been a threat from behind the arc.
3: Yeah, Luka has certainly struggled at the start of the season. Um, like you kind of alluded to, the Mavericks uh, behind the engine of Luka Doncic was a historically efficient um, offense last year. They haven't been able to get on the tracks so far in the early season. They have had some personnel change, and obviously Porzingis is still out. But you're right. You know, in that first half, he was able to start kind of zinging the ball around. Maxi Kleber, I think, hit three threes in the first quarter. So they were hurting us from deep a little bit early. Um, I thought PJ did a really nice job in the first half. They were trying to kind of hide Luka on him defensively. Um, to your point, the foul trouble, you know, PJ was able to draw at least one of those on Luka. Anytime he had Luca in the high post or the low post, he was really aggressive taking the ball to the basket. I thought that was important and probably uh, orchestrated, I would imagine, a little bit from the coaching staff on that kind of offensive strategy standpoint. Um, I think we can put to bed the, you know, is PJ Washington okay uh, vibes? Like, he, he's just fine. So, so yes, obviously getting Luca in foul trouble taking the Mavericks out of their offensive rhythm is certainly the blueprint to trying to beat them and just like we expected we beat the Nets and the Mavs and lost to the Thunder and the Cavs right
1: yeah if, if you were to ask me that the Hornets were starting two and two to start the season I would have said yeah that's perfectly fine but it would definitely have not have come against the Nets and the Mavericks here uh To your point about P.J. Washington, he's been a whole lot more aggressive these past couple of games, whether it's on offense, like you said, attacking Luka in the post, or if it's just attacking a loose ball or a rebound. That's the type of stuff that J.B. wants to see out of these guys. It's just kind of this assertiveness and uh, urgency to play on both ends of the court. But I I think I got to highlight Miles Bridges. There's no reason not to talk about this guy uh, early in this podcast because He finished the game with 20 points on 67% shooting and 16 rebounds, Lee. 16 rebounds. A couple things that I'm seeing uh, out of him this year, and I even mentioned this on your podcast, just him being a playmaker with the ball in his hands is something that's been a revelation this season. His handles are tighter. Uh, You saw in the first quarter two plays that I would want to highlight. He shook Willie Cauley-Stein with the ball in his hands, and then a little bit later in the quarter, he hits a step back three, which is something that you just would not see from him in seasons past. Man, miles bridges to me was the player of the game. There's a lot of players to highlight, but what are your thoughts so far? On miles bridges in this game or just early season trends with him?
3: Yeah. Well, just like you said on my pod, I kind of asked you, who are you most interested in the, de- in the development of, and we talked about miles bridges and, now every time I see him make a play with the ball in his hands I'm like there there it is you know he, he is starting to show more and more of those flashes as a space creator on the ball and as a playmaker on the ball um, I also think it's important to highlight how he's embraced you know coming coming off the bench I you know I know that's an easy thing for, for, you know, us to say, Oh, of course he should be happy coming off the bench, you know, but, but that's not easy to do, especially when you've been a starter in the past. So I don't think it should be undervalued that miles Bridges has completely embraced his new role. Him and LaMelo, um, obviously give the second unit playmaking and scoring punch that they just didn't have last season. Um, so, so the individual improvement is evident. Um, the shooting improvement is clearly evident thus far in the season. Um, hopefully he can continue that from three-point land. Um, but, but just his energy, his approach to the game, I think is commendable um, early, early in the season thus far.
1: He's just looking more confident. More confident on the ball, just more confident in everything that he's doing. And sure, seeing the ball go through the hoop is only going to help that. I don't think you know shooting four of six from behind the arc is going to be sustainable like he did tonight. But you know, just seeing the ball go through the hoop is something that is great for his development. You love to see um, him making these steps, and it feels like he's definitely put some work in over the summer because it's it's paying off in these first four games. He's working on some of those deficiencies. He even hit a sky hook i think it's like in the uh third quarter maybe which was crazy to see
3: i was just gonna say I, I think i tweeted something like you know just go ahead and mail him the most uh improved player trophy after that running skyhook through the lane because <laughs> i mean if he's doing that you know just book it <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah yeah what what can't he do at, at this point in the season right. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The NBA is back in action and football is heading into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Online. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Lamella Ball. Lamella Ball yep. had a, had a great stat line uh, in this game. One thing I do want to note with him in terms of defense, I know this is probably not like a, a, a sexy thing to talk about. I, I think that as a defender, you look at him; he's six seven. He should be. better better in terms of kind of fighting through ball screens and being a better point of attack defender. But that is something that will be a work in progress. But one thing that I have noticed, whether it's with this Dallas game or just kind of early in the season, he's been getting hands on balls like deflections. I'm not really sure. I probably should look this up, but I I bet you he has a healthy amount of deflection so far this season. And that's only going to help him, you know, obviously build more confidence on the defensive side, but it's only going to help him in transition as well. Playing the way that JB wants to play, and and clearly this is something that we're seeing through the first four games, you're going to have to get stops, you're going to have to get steals. Now, they will push the ball off of makes as well, but... Mm-hmm. Just just a little small observation that I've made he's been get be able to get hands in the passing lanes on defense getting those deflections and turning those into transition looks and then obviously you know t- tonight he he shot the ball crazy from behind the arc every time he shot it I was just expecting a miss to come sometime soon, but four or five from deep from lamella
3: yeah, so a couple of things there I think. His concerns at the point of attack are going to continue to be there all season and and even into the first couple years of his development as a young point guard trying to slide and contain, you know, NBA level um, creators is going to be a challenge for him. But, you know, that's something he can improve on, something that's harder to teach. Um, is the defensive anticipation that you see from him in the passing lanes and part of that is totally his length of course. but another part of it is kind of his ability to see plays before they happen to rotate in and kind of dig in on a roll guy and make a steal or get out into like a, a, a into the wing passing lanes and deflect balls. even like blocking some shots from behind um, when his defender gets by him uh, on smaller point guards, he can use his length to block shots you know, I think we knew that he was a better catch and shoot shooter than he was an off the dribble shooter, but that's even been highlighted even more to a degree. I mean, coming into this game, you know, to your point, I don't know about the deflections, but he was averaging over a steal a game coming into this game and he was also shooting the ball, um, you know, 40% from three coming into this game. Like you said, he was four for five tonight. So you know, I, I I think if you could give the, the Charlotte coaching staff truth serum, I, I truly believe they would be pretty pleased with his developments thus far. Although, like you said, it's still, like, meaningful to discuss the fact that he does get back cut at times. You know, he'll fall asleep here and there. He's a rookie. That's going to happen, but it has to be corrected at some point. Mm-hmm. And just as a point of attack defender, that's going to be kind of a constant laborious task for him to just continue to work at and improve. I think he can do it, but it's certainly an uphill development battle for him.
1: Yeah. And the least that we're seeing from him, he's at least competing on the defensive side of the court. And there was a stretch at the end of the first quarter with LaMelo, which was just awesome to watch. Just go back and watch like the last minute and a half, two minutes and just watch LaMelo. He had a three pointer, He had at least one steal, maybe two. He had that buzzer beater fadeaway. Like, he was just involved in every little sequence in that last minute and a half to two minutes.
3: And a couple offensive rebounds, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm saying, like, these players are attacking the ball with urgency. And if they're going to try to. You know whether it's the offensive glass or the defensive glass. If they're going to try to shore up that rebounding disadvantage that they had last year, it's got to be a gang mentality. It's got to be everyone attacking the ball. You know we see that from Miles Bridges, we see that from Terry Rozier as well. We see it from everybody, regardless of of position. One player that always brings the energy and and, and probably why the Hornets brought him back was Biombo. Like you look at his stat line. <laughs> You know, it, it was a quiet nine points, six rebounds, four assists, four assists, too. That, 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 to me, is showing me that he has some passing ability, vision. You see him in the short roll. There was a play in the second quarter, about two minutes into the quarter, where he sets a pick and roll, catches it, and immediately swings the ball to the weak side for McDaniels, which leads to an and one. I feel like we've seen more of this from Biz this year in terms of the passing.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is. And it's a little surprising, honestly. Like, I, I don't know where that comes from exactly. Like, he's – I mean, Biz is such a veteran. Like, you would almost think he just is what he is at this point. But for some reason, he has been able to unlock, like, a small amount of enhanced vision, which <laughs> – um, is kind of baffling to me, but also very pleasantly surprising. I know exactly the play you're talking about with McDaniels. That was a terrific pass. I, I think more than anything, it's just kind of biz um, letting the game come to him. I know that sounds like really cliche, but he's just really not forcing anything. He's taking what the defense gives him. He's moving the ball. He's not trying to do too much. Um and and of course, defensively, he does at least offer like a sliver of rim protection, which the Hornets, you know, desperately need and, and don't have a ton of. Um, so he's filled in valiantly um, as Cody's been out, obviously, the last two games. And we're going to be depending on him a lot just because we are so thin in the front court right now. So as they Hornets play, I think it's what, 10, ga- 10 games in the next 16 days, like, it's gonna be a load on Biombo and I, I, but if anybody can bring the energy every night and kind of fight through um, you know the fatigue, it, it's certainly it's certainly good old biz.
1: <laughs> and, and we can talk about the rotation real quick before we get to some yeah. of the other players' performances. It, it feels like Borrego definitely favors obviously you know biz right now is as the starting center, but he, but he favors going small versus trying to go with Carey Jr. or Nick Richards. He even plays McDaniels at the five sometimes. So I don't know if it's like a trust factor, like he doesn't trust these rookies to kind of come and produce. I think it may be that way. I mean, I just think that with the shortened off season, it's hard to kind of get these guys up to speed and he just prefers playing smaller. I'm not really sure exactly what, what's going on there, but think about this Lee. We, we had a blowout game. Yep. Who, who was the only Hornet that did not play tonight? Like mom. Yeah, that to me speaks a lot. I mean, even Nick Richards and Kerry Jr. had a handful of minutes. So I personally feel that it has nothing to do with like the COVID situation. Well, partly, but I don't sure. think moving forward that that can be used as, as an excuse anymore. I truly feel that James Borrego, for better or for worse, however you want to view it, I don't feel like he views him as part of this rotation, which is very interesting to me because we've always heard these these comments coming from, not obviously from Borrego, but from Mitch, how he's the most talented player on this roster. So what are your thoughts on the rotation, whether it's the center rotation in terms of Borrego going small all the time? And then also, what are your thoughts on Malik Monk? Do you think that he breaks through in this rotation or not?
3: So uh, to start with the rotation stuff, um, I I do agree with you on kind of the, um, I guess it's a guess in a certain way, but like, I just don't think he probably trusts either one of the young centers yet. Um, I'm still actually like fairly bullish on both of them as long-term development prospects. Um, but right now, he clearly just wants to go with Biz at the five or PJ at the five. Or like you said, if he wants to get like super creative in a blowout, McDaniel's and Bridges were kind of like their quasi four five there for a stretch. We talked about on on on, on my pod how the Hornets need to continue to explore the PJ at the five lineup, but that it actually wasn't all that productive last year, this year so far in a small sample size, it has been pretty productive, particularly on offense. And this isn't going to be like bona fide math here. Cause I was kind of hand logging it in the game, but in the first half, you know, the Hornets were plus 12 or so with PJ at the five. And they made that run at the end of the first quarter um, with PJ at the five as well. So um, I think that is something that is incredibly fascinating to continue to monitor. If the Hornets can, kind of mold this small ball five lineup into being a net positive lineup that they can go to consistently. I think that honestly changes the outlook of this team and what they can do. Um, So, so, so I guess I say all that to say is so far, the PJ at the five small ball lineup has been more productive than it has been last year. Also, I think the flexibility at the wing position and the, And the increased size at the wing position this season allows Borrego the flexibility to not have to depend on those young centers yet. He can trot out a lineup of P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, and then whatever guard uh, rotation you want to throw in there. And you're not giving up that much size because you're so big at the wing with that group. Um, Monk... (sighs) (laughs) Man, it's, I've long been a, a, a holder of Malik Monk's stock. I, I still think that somewhere in there, there's a productive NBA player. I've talked about how good he was the month prior to his suspension last season. Um, but there's also the reality that uh, the Martin twins in particular are younger, cheaper, and potentially higher ceiling wings on this roster right now I think that's part of the reason why Dwayne Bacon isn't on this roster anymore and it's a numbers game at some point and right now Malik Monk is certainly on the outside looking in it's a long season I don't think we can completely write off um, him not getting back into the rotation I think that's still possible but right now it's certainly an uphill battle for him
1: yeah, I just would have thought he would have gotten minutes in this game. I know that, I believe it was yesterday, he did not practice because of migraine issues. Um, I'm assuming those have subsided for tonight's game. But, I mean, who knows? I, I, I just, it's it's hard to put my finger on why Borrego. I mean, I, I love Cody Martin. I love Caleb Martin but it's hard to put my finger on why Malik Monk has fallen out of favor so quickly with this team. And it can't, like I said, it can't just be because of the COVID situation. Obviously that, that set him back a week. Uh, but at some point that excuse or that reason has got to kind of go out the window. Is is it the fact that the Martin twins bring energy on the defensive side of the court and that kind of, Helps them with their transition game. Like what? What is it about the Martin twins that that give you something that Malik doesn't? I'm assuming that's what it is. That that's the only thing that I can kind of point to because Malik Monk was very good last season. Not even just you know that last little stretch uh, before he got suspended. Good playmaker. I feel like he would work well in this offense. Clearly, he's a little bit undersized and he might give up something on the defensive end of the court. But I feel like you at least got to try it, right? You at least got to try him this season.
3: I think so, too. Look, I mean, like I can certainly see both sides of it. I think, you know, I've kind of said, like, if you could combine Caleb and Cody Martin, you'd have like a a bona fide starting level wing in the NBA. Unfortunately, they, they are two separate players, you know. Yes, they're bigger. Yes, Cody is certainly a better and more versatile defender than Malik Monk. Um, and Malik Monk, as, as lauded of, of, of a shooter as he was coming out of Kentucky, his three-point percentage has decreased every year since he left Lexington. Um, now, that being said, he, he had become last year an incredibly efficient downhill rim attacker right. and even a playmaker. So that doesn't mean that he can't be an efficient offensive player. Um you know i like to see him as a primary attack downhill first find your jump shot secondarily um, man i think he will get back in the rotation i think he's i think he's too talented to not at least make sure that you're not missing something before you move on from him I, you know if the hornets do eventually move on from him i would understand that but I also think they would be doing a a disservice to this team and it's, and it's ultimate top end potential by not at some point trying to get Malik Monk back in that rotation. Because if you could somehow get him back online, that second unit of ball bridges Monk, Mm -hmm. and then start to kind of throw in McDaniels, the Martin twins, whoever it may be like that starts to look like a pretty uh, powerful second unit. So, I'm pulling from Link Monk, but I also completely understand the downsides and the kind of rotation that's been solidified yeah. with him on the outside looking in.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's uh, any truth to him maybe uh, having uh, James Johnson run into the Martin Twins and have them ejected to this past game so they can get in? That's, that's what...
3: <laughs> I love that. I love that theory. Yeah, yeah. He, he slipped James Johnson, you know a couple stacks and just like, Hey man, get, get these guys suspended for a game for me so I can get back in. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it, it did not work this game, but uh, that was a, I cannot believe we, I totally forgot about that dust up at the end of the game. I do you want to talk about a couple more players in this game and then we can kind of get to our, um, any kind of lasting thoughts for this early season. So sure. Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, I feel like are linked together because they are the veterans on this team. They they bring this, the steadiness that you need on a young team. Now, both of these players started off pretty cool. Rozier picked it up. Uh, Hayward did not so much, right? I mean, he, he had a fourth quarter where he hit a couple of mid range shots, which actually I kind of pointed out, he was getting the Hornets buckets late and kind of calmed things down. I know the the lead was, you know, what, like 20 or so, but it just felt right. like it got a little tense there when they went on like an 11-0 run at one point. So Hayward is, is a guy that uh, regardless if he is shooting the ball well, which he did not tonight, he's going to offer some other stuff. You know, he, he did end up with seven rebounds, three assists, and he was still a positive factor for this team regardless of how he shot the ball. And then Terry Rozier continues to play well, you know, rebounding the ball, shooting the ball. He turned things on late. What are you liking about their their leadership so far and just kind of that steady presence on the court for this young team?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, you know, Hay- Hayward was coming into this game averaging seven assists. He, he had three tonight. He takes so much of... of- of part of that load off of Devontae Graham to have to be the primary playmaker all the time. Obviously LaMelo ball when he's right, does that as well. Um, but Gordon just as an offensive, like on the ball, calming influence is so nice to see. He was obviously huge late in the, in the Brooklyn win, um, didn't shoot the ball well tonight. And, and, Really isn't shooting a blistering pace from three on the air. He was 37 percent coming into this game. I know he missed quite a few threes tonight. Um, so but but everywhere else on the floor he's been pretty money. So like you said, even on nights where and, and, and I think it's a it's a an encouraging aspect of the Charlotte Hornets offense mm-hmm. to you know. To score 118 points, to shoot 50% from the field, and to shoot 44% from three on a night where Gordon Hayward didn't give you a ton offensively, like, that that's good. Um, Terry Rozier continues to just be uh, – shoot at a blistering pace. I mean I, – I continue to, to not understand any of kind of the Terry Rozier slander that gets thrown out there um, on Hornets Twitter from time to time. Look, he's not a primary playmaker. He's never going to be a primary playmaker. But if you understand what Terry Rozier is and the value that he does bring as an elite catch and shoot um, off ball shooter, um, as, as maybe not an elite, but a tough and rugged serviceable guard defender. Um, and then like you said, man, he rebounds outside of his size at times too. I mean, there were a couple kind of electric, like defensive rebounds from Terry Rozier tonight, reaching, you know, above post players and snaring balls away one handed. So I love what both of those guys bring. and. And, and obviously, they're kind of bulwarks moving forward if this team is is going to be maybe competitive um, in the
1: East. Yeah, Ro- Rozier has a has a certain edge to him uh, that that, yeah. that, you, that you like to see, and he, and he had two early three pointers in the third quarter, which helped. Charlotte start off that third quarter in a 14-0 run so that was the deciding factor in terms of just kind of expanding that 11 point lead uh, to Mm -hmm. close to 30 points in the early part of that third quarter kind of settled things down and kind of put things at ease last player I want to talk about whether it's with the the Mavericks game or just kind of early season stuff here is Devontae Graham now Devontae Graham It's almost like at times you don't even realize he's out there, right? You don't even realize he's on the court at times. Now, James Borrego did mention uh, either today or yesterday that he's fine with the way Mm -hmm. that Devante is playing. He is shooting open shots. They just aren't falling, and he expects those numbers to climb in the coming weeks. Now, he is having to adjust to a different role, a different offense, where he's not handed the keys to this offense and having to run pick and roll after pick and roll. And I think in the long run, this is going to be better for Devontae because he's going to develop a little bit more versatility in his game um he's still going to be a good catch and shoot shooter and i think that's going to work well within this offense but he's gotta he's got to learn some other parts of his game to be a more well-rounded player there's really nothing of note that i took with like i took notes for this game literally his name did not show up once but (laughs) but i don't think he was necessarily a negative factor by any means
3: yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like counterintuitive, but I agree with you in the fact that I actually think this is a positive for him as a long-term, you know, NBA fringe starter level guard. And yes, it is a little concerning the way he's shooting the ball this thus far in the early season, but... You're always going to have four or five game stretches where good shooters don't shoot the ball well. So maybe he's just having that four or five game stretch at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, he hit that huge corner 3 in the Brooklyn game late in the fourth quarter that kind of gave Charlotte the breathing room to withstand the Brooklyn's last little run they had at the end of that game. I was kind of anticipating that huge 3 late in the Brooklyn game to be uh, the impetus for him having the big game tonight that didn't obviously that's not exactly how it shaked out um, prior to this game if you looked at the advanced numbers Charlotte's offense still cratered when Devontae Graham went off the floor we'll, we'll see you know how that continues to shake out over the year and obviously it's a small sample size but I guess the point I'm trying to make is Even if Devontae isn't shooting the ball at the level we expect him to, he's still really important to the offense from um, just a continuity standpoint, from a ball movement standpoint, and from a gravity standpoint. Because, look, the opposing teams are obviously aware that he probably hasn't shot the ball well yet, but they still have to guard him. Um, because he's proven himself to be uh, a, a capable catch-and-shoot player over a large sample size last season. So, um, like, I'm, a, I'm vaguely worried. I, I hope he can turn the shooting around, but he's still so important to the offense. Um, and to your point about kind of his long-term development, I think this is actually better for him than having to be constantly shouldered with all of the playmaking load.
1: And not that many people put stock into this, but he was second on the team in minus uh, for tonight's game at at plus 20. So, I mean, if you want to put stock into that, you can. So he was the positive when he was on the court. The one thing that I'll point to as a team, as a team, not necessarily won this game, but definitely didn't lose this game for them was their free throw shooting. So I think they might have been last in the NBA heading into this game they were 17 of 21 from the free throw line which is 81%. The Mavericks on the other hand were 19 of 33. They shot 58%, which again that that that's a it's a big swing there for the Hornets. So that that's one trend that we want to see change for the better and it did tonight against the Mavericks. Lee, I want to talk about before we get to the Twitter questions, just anything any observations that you've made so far? through these first four games that have been good, bad, just notable in your eyes. And I'll give you mine if it's not yours, I guess, is what I'm saying. So any, anything notable that you want to point out from this Hornets team through the first four games?
3: Yes, I'm glad you brought up the free throw shooting because we were last by a pretty large margin, actually. I, you know, and, and we shot the ball much better than tonight from the free throw line. So I don't anticipate that the Hornets will end up being the worst free throw shooting team in the league. I think the one thing that I'm really watching and trying to decipher if there's a big difference yet or if it's just a small sample th- size and we're going to kind of regress back to the mean. Mm-hmm. And that's just like our overall defensive rating and 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 defensive, um, you know, capabilities, essentially, because – you know, you look at last year. You know, they were 25th defensive rating. You know, a, a bottom five defense. Going into this game, they were 16th in the league in defensive rating. Over a, again, a small sample size, 107 points per 100 possessions. But like that's meaningful improvement if it can hold. And obviously, tonight was a really good defensive performance. Uh, the, the the Mavericks shot 39 percent from the field, 28 percent from three. Some of that is just them missing shots right. and some of that is the Charlotte Hornets uh, making them miss shots. And, you know, it's not like we added any, t- any type of elite rim protection. Um, we already talked about LaMelo Ball's flaws on defense as spectacular as he has been in other avenues of the game. Of course, get Gordon Hayward helps and and, and and the maturation of Miles Bridges and PJ Washington helps on defense, but structurally, there's no massive change from a personnel standpoint for this defense to go from 25th to like middle of the road. And besides the fact of they just seem to be like scrappier Mm -hmm. and rotating better Mm -hmm. and running out of tough situations and finding guys and contesting shots. Um, So that's something I'm going to be consistently kind of honed in on because if there is any way that somehow the Charlotte Hornets defense can be just even league average, that's a game changer. And and that's the play-in tournament team in my eyes. Right. If if they can do that, that's still a big if. And over the next month or two, we're going to find out whether that's an actual improvement or if it was just a good start.
1: That's a good point. That's a good point. I haven't really thought about that this early in the season, but it does seem like, as Cody Martin said this morning, the, the team needs to be on a string. They need to be cohesive. Yeah. They need to be communicating. And that's half the battle with defense is just having the communication and knowing where everyone should be at any moment in time. And um, that's only going to come with time and practice and stuff like that. The one the one early season trend that I kind of want to point out is, is transition numbers. You're, you're seeing this team push the pace more. It's, it's a pretty obvious, evident, visible thing that you're seeing on the court. Not only are they doing it with more frequency, but they're also doing it with more efficiency as well. And to your point about defense, you know, from last year coming over to this year, not much of a change. One thing that I noted last year as much as JB stresses, you know, getting to the rim, limiting mid-range shots, and shooting the three-pointer. On the, on the opposite end, they did the opposite. They allowed a lot of shots at the rim. They allowed a lot of three-pointers. So that's got to change. You're, you're seeing them run the players off the three-point line a little bit more through these first four games. So in terms of shot profile, they've got it down correct on the offensive side, and they do again this year. But on the defensive side from last year, I haven't looked at the numbers this year, but last year it was almost like, okay, let's, let's stress getting to the rim, but on the defensive side, they allowed all these rim attempts as well. So, all right, let's get into these Twitter questions Lee, to wrap up this podcast. And this first Twitter question Lee is actually very similar to what you were just talking about. This is from at British underscore buzz for this team to ever be a contender to win a playoff series. It needs to be top 10 or 15 defense. What is the roadmap to achieve that is the question. So we talked about it just, just now, but I think it really comes down to it. It does come down to personnel, but I also Mm -hmm. think it comes down to team concepts. Like first, firstly, defense to me is mostly about effort, right? I think the physical tools are important, but if you lack the motivation or want to, it doesn't matter how long you are or how, how high you can jump, I, I think you're seeing that scrappiness, like you're saying, that, that that want to on the defensive side of the court through the first four games. Now, once when you actually have a handful of guys on the team that actually give a damn on defense, it feels like it rubs off on the rest of the team, right? It, it's contagious. So in terms of this team being a top 10 to 15 defense, can it happen this year? That That's something that that we're keeping an eye on. I don't know if it will, but... The communication, like we just said, and then just it being contagious has to rub off on each other. Do you do you think this team can get top fifteen? I know you just mentioned it, but do you think it can get to a top fifteen defense this year?
3: If if I had to to hedge bets, I would say this: the, the Charlotte Hornets are not a top fifteen defense this year. I think for for the Charlotte Hornets to ever become a top ten defense, there would have to be some sort of um, kind of elite personnel change like you just don't really become a top 10 defense without right you know super elite defenders <laughs> um as, as as simple as that sounds um so we, we know that the hornets don't have elite rim protection right now um we know that the hornets do have a small ish backcourt um although Lamelo ball like we've talked about has an injected some size and length into that backcourt um, so, so, I, I think it, it continues to boil down to uh, more buy-in and more familiarity mm-hmm. with Borrego's defensive schemes concepts. It also boils down again to like a lot of things about this franchise to do right now, the ultimate ceilings of PJ Washington and Miles Bridges on the defensive end as well. So if we continue to see improvement, from an individual standpoint, from the young core, that's going to help. And if we continue to see a buy-in um, and um, you know more and more continuity under Borrego's defensive schemes, that'll help as well. That could get them to a to a top twenty defense, I think, this year. And that may not sound like much, but going from a bottom five defense to a top twenty defense is a meaningful improvement. And yeah that would be wildly encouraging. So um, like I said, that's totally something I'm I'm honed in on. and going to keep watching.
1: Next question comes from at KG61 on Twitter. Which player do you feel like is going to be the mo- most underrated all season? I'm going to let you start this one off. I feel like I know where you're going to go because you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but player that's going to be underrated all season is going to be who?
3: That's a great question. Um, I'll give a more obvious answer, uh, just to go off the beaten. Well, I mean, not off the beaten path, but I I still, I still think PJ Washington is underrated. I mean, I know he gets a ton of, you know, he gets a ton of love from Charlotte Hornets centric fan base. I don't think the kind of consensus hive mind of the NBA fan nationwide realizes how good he could be. Um, He's just so versatile. Seeing him tonight be so aggressive with uh, mismatches, um, and seeing him to continue to improve as 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 a shot maker as well, um, and and even as as a little bit as a playmaker. Like that, that's not there yet, but it's starting to show glimpses of. I still think PJ Washington's a little underrated, but um, I mean Jalen McDaniels has got to be a little bit underrated right now with his performance tonight. <laughs>
1: I thought you were going to go Terry uh, Razier.
3: Rosier, yeah, I mean he's criminally underrated by our <laughs> own fan base, but that's another rant for another day. <laughs> I,
1: I will choose Bismack Biyombo as oh, someone that okay. could be underrated this season, and he's going to have to step up in Zeller's absence. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast about maybe seeing some flashes of some, you know, short roll passing at a Biz if he can finish better around the rim compared to previous seasons, and if he can continue to bring the effort and the energy. I think a lot of people know biz as the guy that can't catch passes, right? Like that, that's, that's the thing that uh, people think of when they think of biz, but it feels like he's actually been catching passes this year. So he he made this one catch. I think it was either in the third or fourth quarter where Devonte and him ran a pick and roll and the ball was a little bit behind him and his momentum was taking him towards the basket, still caught it, went up and dunked it. So I will go with Bismack Biombo as the most underrated player uh, for this season. Last question here at Barry iFilippo on Twitter fringy question here. Richards played much more than carry and garbage time during preseason. Is that because JB feels more confident in Vernon and wanted to test Nick a little bit? Okay. Interesting. So I guess he's what he's saying is he, he knows what he has in Vernon and they're just trying to figure out what they have in Richard's. To be honest with you, I, I just feel like he doesn't really know what he is, is confident in with those two players. I don't know why Richards played more than Carey, considering that Carey was a higher draft pick. I, I can't really pinpoint as to why that decision was made, but I, I really think that Borrego prefers to go small. He prefers you know, only really to have Cody Zeller and, and Bismack Biyombo this year, but with Cody Zeller out, you're probably going to see one of Nick Richards or Vernon Carey. You saw both tonight because it was a blowout you've you've watched more college basketball than I do what what this is a different question altogether but what are your thoughts on Vernon Carey and what are your thoughts on Nick Richards I feel like you've you favor Richards a little bit more
3: I do uh, slightly favor Richards I slightly favored him um as a as a 2020 NBA draft prospect but it wasn't by a massive margin I think What made me more bullish on Nick Richards was kind of the dirty little secret that he was developing as a jump shooter. I mean, he shot 75% uh, from the free throw line his junior year at Kentucky, and he shot 42% on mid-range jumpers um, his junior year at Kentucky. He never attempted an entire three in his entire – you know, he didn't attempt a three in his entire Kentucky career, but I thought he was one of those guys that, like – in two or three years could be shooting corner threes in the NBA. And it wouldn't completely shock me. Um, he also was a really good rim roller and a pretty decent rim protector at Kentucky as well. So I just liked the overall package a little bit more, but I, I had a a late round first round grade on carry as well. Um, just because he was, uh, such a brute and just a, uh, just kind of a destroyer around the basket on both ends. Um, I agree with you in the sense that I don't think Borrego prefers either one yet. And he's trying to figure out which one is which because like uh, Filippo pointed out, like uh, Richards was the guy in the preseason that was getting more opportunities. I think that was because generally at the time, Borrego was probably leaning towards Richards. He was probably showing more in practice. But then you see Vernon Carey get the first opportunity tonight in a blowout. Um, So maybe Vernon Carey has started to show a little bit more in practice. I I, I truly just believe that it's a it's a back and forth right now. And those two are battling it out behind the scenes. And we'll see. You know, what will be interesting is if Biz gets in like early foul trouble Mm -hmm. in one of these games and he can't (laughs) just completely rely on P.J. at the five and he actually needs to give P.J. a rest. That'll be the, the maybe telltale sign of which one's edging which one out yeah. when they actually need one of
1: them to compete in a real game. Yeah, it was hard to judge on this game when you're up by 25 30 points. Right. So right. all right guys, that'll do it for today's episode. If you missed last episode, I was able to interview Ashley Strohline of WCNC Charlotte. So give that a listen. For Lee, I am Richie, and we will see you guys next time and have a good new year.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?